And verse number one says this. We'll read down through verse seven. Uh, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is uh, this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and thou uh, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I uh, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it if uh, declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched uh, who, who hath stretch stretcheth the line upon it? Whereupon uh, are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars uh, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And so we're in a mini-series entitled, Learning to Love Reproof. And we're going to look at the reproof of self-reliance. The title of the message is this, The Sin of Self-Reliance. Let's pray. I ask tonight, God, that you'd help us as we look at this. Help us, Lord, to have a tender heart and uh, to, um, to handle correction carefully and wisely. And, Lord, to see where we need correction in these areas. Uh, Lord, there's probably not a person here tonight that can't use something from this sermon to help them be a better Christian. And so would we all have open ears and tender hearts that are ready to change as your word speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Um, last week we began by talking about, uh, the title of the message was Learning to Love Reproof. Learning to Love Reproof. I shared several stories through my uh, life where I have been both reproved and or rebuked, and I did not like being told that I was wrong, that I needed to change. Did not like it, did not enjoy it, did not ask for it, and was not necessarily at the time thankful for it uh, when it happened. I uh, bucked against it, I pushed away from it, my attitude uh, during those times uh, was wrong, and it took me years to look back and see those reproofs or rebukes that were handled out and to be thankful for them. And so uh, we looked uh, through the book of Proverbs and looked at all of the different places where Solomon tells his son Rehoboam, and uh, that advice is now being passed along to us through his book, that, hey, if you want to make it in the Christian life or make it through life at all, you've got to learn to love Reproof. You've got to learn to love it. You've got to be thankful for it. Uh, and he went on to say that reproof isn't just a, a, a method to keep you on the right path of life. Reproof is the way of life. It is the path of life. And so if you can't take somebody telling you that you're wrong and that you need to change, boy, then you're going to end up going down a path that leads to destruction. And as Proverbs puts it, that without remedy. Now, we defined reproof this way. We said reproof means to criticize or correct, especially gently. To criticize or correct, especially Gently. This is uh, when your boss pulls you into the office at work and corrects you, and you don't even realize necessarily that he is correcting you. Or uh, maybe uh, your, your your boss pulls you into the office at work, and she'll tell you this needs to change or that needs to change, but she tells you that while she's handing you a gift card uh, to take your wife out to eat or your husband out to eat. And saying thank you for your hard work here, and it is so she uh, he or she is so sweet in the pot in the correction that the correction comes across as gentle. Uh, this could be a pastor who gets up and teaches and preaches the truth and does so in a low monotone voice and just shares the truth and is broad sweeping in his language. But uh, but but you know in uh, through the contents of the message that there's a change that needs to be made. Now, what is rebuke? Reproof is gentle correction. Rebuke is harsh correction. Harsh correction. Uh, rebuke means to criticize or correct, especially harshly. This is someone uh, who is a little more animated, and they're telling you that you're wrong. Okay? I don't mind someone telling me I'm wrong when they're nice about it. 
I struggle with someone telling me I'm wrong when they're not nice about it. Am I alone on that? Am I the only one that doesn't like being told I'm wrong in a, in a rough way? Um, we looked at uh, a verse in Psalm last week where the psalmist said, Take righteousness and smash it over my head. He was saying, give me your best shots. I don't care how you tell me I need to be corrected. If you're right with what you're telling me, then bring it. Then bring it. Um, now, over the next several Sunday evenings, we're going to look at uh, some topics in scriptures that are quite pointed. Quite pointed. These are things that many Christians struggle with. These are things that I have identified in this church that uh, a, a great a number of us, and I put myself in that, a great number of us struggle with. Okay? Uh, now, uh, when we struggle with these things, what, what do they do? Well, it limits our effectiveness as a, a person and as a church. Uh, uh, it can tarnish our Christian reputation and it stunts our spiritual growth. It stunts our spiritual growth. Tonight, we're going to focus on the sin of self-reliance. The sin of self-reliance. And it is a sin that most all of us are guilty of. Each and every day, if not each and every week, all of us are guilty of it on a regular basis. And I and, and you may be here tonight and you may be the one exception in the room where you've got this figured out. Well, I would just ask you to sit there and be patient while the rest of us get this straightened out and fixed. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to take just a minute out of the service and I want everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. And will you pray and you ask the Lord to give you a tender heart right now toward the sermon and that you'll take the defense down and the skepticism down and ask God to help you to listen with an open ear and a, a willing heart to change. Lord, tonight I ask that you would help us all to not uh, look to change based on what a person or a preacher says, but based on what your word says. And so, Lord, where we're guilty of not trusting in you, help us to begin to trust in you and, and help us to take this serious, to not lean on our own uh, experiences, our own expertise, but, Lord, to rely on, on uh, an all-powerful God. So help the sermon to make sense. Give me your wisdom. Help us to be willing to make these changes. In Jesus' name, amen. Self-reliance is addictive. It's addictive. Self-reliance is everywhere. It's everywhere you look. Everyone you know, most everyone you know, is guilty of relying on what they know to get them by. Um, self-reliance, when you stop and think about it from a biblical standpoint, self-reliance makes no sense. It makes no sense. My goal tonight is to convince you of that. We're all guilty of it on some level. Self-reliance is steeped in pride Self-reliance is steeped in a lack of understanding of who our God really is. Now, I propose that we need a new view on God's power and a fresh understanding of how weak and incapable we really, really are. Let's look at three thoughts this evening about the sin of self-reliance. All right, first of all, notice number one, personality. Personality. Um, as long as people have been studying uh, the human psyche or the human uh, uh, method of thinking, uh, there have been different opinions on what types of personalities there are. And uh, there, uh, 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 pretty much everyone who's done their study on this agrees that there are four different personality types. Now, you might be a combination of two of these. You might have uh, traits that come in from all four of these, but all of us generally fall into one of these four personality types and have traits of a second one, okay? And you may have heard of these as phlegmatic and melancholic and choleric. There's a fourth one. I, uh, I, I can't sing one. Is that it? There's a fourth one. I don't know them that way. Um, let me give you the four personality types here, and I'm going to talk through these briefly, and then I'm going to uh, tie a Bible character to uh, uh, each of these four personality types. Notice letter A, the driven doer. The driven doer. This is someone who is very uh, 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 pushy, both with themselves and others. This is someone who is very much in charge. 
uh, when they're in a room and uh, they're uh, they're going to take control of the room or they're going to butt heads with the person who is in control if they're not in control of, of their personality. Um, this person uh, is uh, a go-getter. This person is always on the go. And this person is task-oriented. So you have outgoing people in life, and you have reserved people in life. You have people that when they uh, get a phone call or a text message and it says, do you want to go to, the rest of the message doesn't matter. The answer is yes Count me in. How many of you are more of the outgoing type? Would you hold up your hand? You're outgoing. You like to be on the go. All right. Hold them up there for me. Hold them up. How many of you here say, Pastor, I would rather sit at home by the fire and warm my hands and hang out and in my pajamas and in my Snuggie. And I would rather just not actually go out. How many say I'm more reserved? Okay, we got a reserved church here tonight. I fall in that uh, upper category. So everyone can be divided into outgoing and reserved. And then the other uh, uh, way people can be divided is, uh, let's see, people oriented versus task oriented. Some people would rather uh, uh, chat with other people and converse with people and interact with people. And other folks don't really want to talk to people. They want to Focus on the task. So picture a guy out in his front yard and he's raking his leaves, okay? And uh, he is very task-oriented. He's not raking the leaves because he's worried about anybody's opinion. He's raking the leaves because he can't stand having anything on his grass. And so someone comes by, his neighbor's walking the dog, and he sees him uh, raking the grass, and the neighbor comes up with the dog and starts talking to him. That man goes in the garage and he gets a rake. And he comes out and he says, here... If we're going to talk, why don't you rake, go put your dog away, come back and help me rake, and we're going to do this together. He's more worried about the task than he is the person. Then you have the people-oriented guy, and he's out there, he's raking the lawn, not because he wants a clean lawn, because he's worried about what all the neighbors are going to think about his lawn. And he doesn't want to be uh, the, 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 the talk of the neighborhood for not taking care of his stuff. So he's out there raking his lawn, but he really doesn't want to be. And so here comes Joey walking down the street, and he says, hey, he doesn't even know Joey. He says, hey, what's your name? Oh, I feel like I've known you uh, going all the way back. And and Joey uh, strikes up the conversation with him, and he says, you know what, I didn't really want to uh, rake the lawn. Why don't we go inside and have a drink? Get, some, get, get, a, get a cup of coffee or tea. i got to clarify what a drink is, right? Some of you are thinking, what? Have a drink? This is church. Uh, go and get a cup of coffee or have a, have a, have a soda or something. And uh, the, the lawn gets ignored because he's distracted with people. All right. How many of you here would say that you're more people-oriented than task-oriented? Would you raise your hand? You enjoy people. And how many here say, Pastor, I am the guy who would go get the rake. Uh, that might be extreme, but you go get the rake and you'd make the neighbor help you rake your lawn because you're more task-oriented. Okay? So we've got... People-oriented, task-oriented. We've got outgoing, and we've got reserve. The driven doer, he is outgoing, and he is task-oriented. Get out of his way, he's going to run you over. It's not lead follower, get out of the way. It's just get out of the way. He's got things to do, and he doesn't want anybody in his way. And next we have, letter B, we have the inspired influencer. The inspired influencer. This person is excited all the time. All the time. And because they're so excited, they love being up in front of a large group of people. You go to a party and an inspired influencer has like a circle of people around him while he tells jokes or she tells jokes. Or they're saying, hey, look at this new magic trick I learned. Or listen to this new joke I heard. Or, hey, look at me. Me. Center of attention. And so uh, the inspired influencer, they, are, they know a whole lot about a whole lot of things. but they're, Or they know a little bit about a whole lot of things. Uh, they're interested in a lot of things, but they're not deep in their knowledge of any of it. And so they've got a big personality. They're a lot of fun to be around. This is an inspired influencer. This is a person who's outgoing, but... People oriented, alright? The next personality type is the shy and steady. Shy and steady type. This is someone who is task oriented and reserved. They like talking to people too, but to put them up here on the platform and have them speak to the whole church, they would never do it. They would rather you lock them up and put them in prison than have them come up here and speak in church. They're terrified of the concept. Now they like to talk. But they want to talk in the corner at the party with one or two people. This is the kind of person that you would think they're very shy. 
But when they get in their environment and they're comfortable, then they open up and they're willing to talk to people. And then the last personality type is the calculated and careful, calculated and careful. And uh, this is someone who is reserved and task-oriented, reserved and task-oriented. They're focusing on uh, the details. They're, they're the ones that will read the entire instruction manual in English, Spanish, and French before they even attempt to put the do-it-yourself piece they bought from Ikea at home. And the truth is, if it's from Ikea, forget about it. You just take it back. Amen? I hate Ikea. But um, uh, uh, that's because I'm the driven doer. But uh, you have uh, the calculated and careful one. You don't want to get into an argument with someone who is a calculated, careful person because they're going to probably beat you. They've thought through it in such a way, they've got the facts on their side. Someone who's calculated and careful, they're very loyal, not to a person, they're very loyal to the rules. The rules. And they want to see that the rules are enforced evenly and carefully, okay? So all four personality types are important. Not one is better than the other. It takes all four types to make the globe go around. Generally, the driven doer invents things. The inspired influencer will be the salesman that sells the item. The shy and steady type will make sure all the paperwork is organized and people know which direction they're going in. And the calculated and careful one, he's tweaking the invention to make it work even better. The D will write the book uh, and keep it concise. The C will check the grammar and make sure that it's all accurate and concise and, 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 and non-redundant and all of the rules are followed. So those are the four personality types. You say, well, pastor, why did you go over that? Well, here's the reason why I went over it. It's because that whichever one of those four you are or combination of those that you are, you're going to struggle with relying on yourself in a different way. And so if I were to get up here tonight and say, those of you that rely on your work ethic, three-fourths of you would sit there and go, what? That's not me. But all of us in here fit somewhere into that model or are a combination of that model, and all of us are in here are guilty of relying on ourselves in a different way. So the driven doer, uh, he relies on his work ethic, his work ethic. A good biblical example of a driven doer is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Um, 1 Corinthians, he says this, This one thing I do. No, Paul. <laughs> it's not one thing you do. You do a lot of things. Later on, in the ver- later on in that chapter, he'd say, I press toward the mark. I'm on the go. I'm working. I'm moving. Uh, uh, he would say in Timothy, I've finished my course. I've, I've, I've kept the faith. He was worried and concerned about doing and doing and doing. Paul had a ferocious work ethic. Uh, you got to remember, this is a time where modern transportation did not exist. It was by foot, or it was by horseback, or or, or donkey, or it was by boat. There was none of this. Uh, there was none of this uh, uh, taking an airplane from Macedonia uh, back to Jerusalem. There was none of that going on. It was by foot. It was arduous. It was it was uh, uh, tough on the body. But Paul, in his life, in his adult life, would go on. Four missionary journeys, four missionary journeys, if you count his trip to uh, Rome as the fourth one. And in those four missionary journeys, he would endure all kinds of hardships. But Paul was like an energizer bunny. He just kept on going. He got beat on. He'd get up and keep going. Beat on. Get up and keep going. And the list is given to us in a couple of places in his books where he was just absolutely dumped on by uh, people that hated him. But it didn't matter. Paul was a worker and you weren't going to keep him down. Now, Paul would have naturally on his own relied on his work ethic to accomplish God's will. But Paul made it clear that it was God that was doing the work through him. Now, I want to make sure I'm very clear on this as I lay these out. If you are a driven doer tonight and you have a work ethic, that work ethic is not a sin. Relying on your work ethic apart from God is a sin. You're to give your work ethic over to the Lord and say, God, I'm a tool in your hand. You use me and you work with me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Listen closely. Many of you are familiar with the verse, but listen closely. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Listen to this. Yet not I, but Christ 
that liveth in me. Hey, Paul, you're a driven doer. Is it your work ethic that's caused you to start so many churches and, and write so many books of the Bible and, 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 and continue to go for the Lord? No, it's Christ that lives in me. It's Christ that does it through me. Well, uh, how about our inspired influencer, our, our excitable people person? Uh, how about them? Uh, well, they depend on a big personality. They depend on a big personality. And when I think it through the Bible of someone who had a, uh, a big personality and was an influential uh, influencer, I think of, um, I think of uh, the Apostle Peter, or inspired influencer. I think of the Apostle Peter. You remember Peter? He just open mouth, insert foot. He had foot and mouth disease. Not hand, foot and mouth disease. He had foot and mouth disease. In fact, I think he generally had his, his knee in his throat. He, he just, he continued to say things that he shouldn't have said. And uh, he was probably distracted very easily by squirrels running around him, right? And so that is the uh, inspired influencer there. Oh, over here. I'm going to go do this. And oh, I forgot. I got to go over here. You can't count on them for a whole lot uh, if they're not disciplined because they're all over the place. And this is the type of person, they're just so impulsive. They're so impulsive. What do, you, what do you mean by impulsive? Well, you might remember that in Matthew 16, Jesus said, Whom say ye that I am? And he said, without really even thinking through it, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in that instance, it worked out for Paul. Or rather for Peter, didn't it? But how about a little bit later when he said, You're not, in the same chapter, You're not going to go to the cross and die. And Jesus had to look at him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. How about when Paul or Peter was walking on the water? It was that, it was that uh, inspired influencer steps out on the water. He's walking on the water with Jesus and he, he's excited. And then the storm cranked up. And you know what? He got distracted and he sank. You see, Peter had a big personality. And Peter relied on that personality. But while Peter relied on his own personality, he failed over and over and over again. It wasn't until Peter learned to give his big personality to the Lord, where the Lord could work through that. And look what happened at Pentecost. He preached at Pentecost with that big personality and that big crowd, and 3,000 souls got saved. Why? Not because he got rid of his big personality but because he gave it to the Lord and he stopped relying on himself. Well, how about the shy and steady one? Well, I I think about uh, the uh, men in the Bible, specifically the disciples of Christ, and I think of the Apostle John. He was shy and steady. Uh, where do we find John? Well, in John's books, uh, he referenced himself in the, uh, the book of John or the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Very sentimental. Very sappy. Uh, uh, very relational, very relational. What does the shy, stable one rely on? Well, the shy, stable one relies on their warm people skills to get them through life. Their warm people skills. They've got a bunch of strong relationships one-on-one. They may not like the limelight. They may not like being up front. But boy, they're so good at looking you in the eye. And loving you for who you are. And checking up on your needs. And knowing what's going on in your life. That they they have developed so many strong relationships in their life. That they depend on that to carry them through. And that's exactly uh, where we find uh, John here. You remember at the Lord's Supper? Who was the one sitting next? Or the Last Supper? Who was the one sitting next to uh, Jesus? It was John. The Bible says he was laying his head on the breast or the chest of Jesus. Boy, that shy and stable one. Never the one out front. Never the one pushing his way. Never the one demanding attention. Very, very loyal in his nature. And you see how that worked out well for him. He was the only disciple at the foot of Jesus. At the foot of Jesus. By the way, I believe that John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, and traveled with Peter and was kicked off, or rather went home early. And then uh, you might remember Barnabas and, and Paul split over John Mark. I believe John Mark was probably a shy and steady type. And uh, he, Paul uh, and, and him clashed. By the way, the driven doer and the shy and steady type, they butt heads the most. 
and the inspired influencer and the calculated and careful, they butt heads the most because they are nothing alike. They're also intrigued the most by each other, uh, but they fight the most and they uh, struggle to get along the most. Uh, how about the calculated and careful one? Well, they rely on their intellect. They rely on their intellect. When I think of a, uh, a biblical example of a calculated and careful person, I think of Thomas. Remember Thomas? Thomas was not there when Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. And then it happened again, and he wasn't there a second time, if my memory serves me correct on the story. And you may remember that Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I can put my fingers in the prints of his hands and I can run my hand into his side. Thomas was what must have been from the state of, is it Missouri, the show me state? He, He had to see it to believe it. And he was very worried about details, very worried about details. He was uh, intellectually sound. He uh, knew his stuff, and you weren't going to get into an argument with Thomas and most likely win. Uh, Thomas, uh, uh, he, he, needed to, he needed to have just the facts, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. That was the attitude that Thomas had. Now, here's what I want you to get tonight, is that if you rely on your work ethic to carry you through life, i got to tell you, if you haven't turned that over to the Lord, then you are living a life of self-reliance, and that is sin. You have a big personality and you win people over by always being happy and excited and drawing a crowd around you and you're relying on your big personality to get you through life and you haven't turned that over to the Lord, that is sin. If you uh, have those warm people skills and you're good at those one-on-one conversations and caring about people and and, and letting them know uh, how much you love them and you are pleasing people on a regular basis. i got to tell you, if that's what you're relying on to get you through life, that is a sin. And if you're very smart and you've used your wit and your intellect to get you through life and you're only relying on that, that is a sin. You see, those things are not wrong, but they become wrong when we, we don't turn them over to God and let Him use those uh, to accomplish His work. Personality. Personality. Number two, we see pride. Pride. Turn over to uh, Psalm chapter 40. In verse number 4, if you would. Psalm chapter 40. In verse number 4. The Bible says there, this verse kind of sums up the whole sermon in a lot of ways. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. So this man has made the Lord his trust. He doesn't even respect people that are proud. And he's turned aside uh, uh, to lies. Or he's pushed that to the side. And uh, so next turn over to Psalm chapter 73 verse 6. Psalm 73 verse number 6. The Bible says there, therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Now, I want you to get an image of this this evening. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Let's see here. Brother Greer, are you in here? There you are. Can you come up here? I'll tell you what, I don't want to mess your suit up. John, John Sanchez, can you come up here? Uh, you might be a better choice here. Now, the Bible says that pride is like a chain. Take a seat there, if you would. And if you could, yeah, thank you, Jared, for adjusting that there. Um, uh, I'm going to chain you down here, okay? And um, I'm going to set this up where you have a hard time even moving. If I cut off your circulation, please let me know. I'm not trying to, not trying to hurt you here. I'm just trying to make a point. Is that too, good? Is that too tight? Is that good? Yeah. Okay, let me get this around him here. The Bible tells us that pride is like a chain and that that chain keeps us from being able uh, to move. Can you can you get out of that? That, That's pretty tight, right? Now. Pride paralyzes us. Pride is this thing that makes us think we're something great. But we can't move. I'm going to meddle a little bit. Is that okay? Some of you haven't been down to this altar 
to talk to the Lord in years. You hear a sermon preached and the Holy Spirit steps all over your toes on the scripture that's used. You just stand there and you're indifferent toward it. You bucket the reproof. Either you hate the reproof or you're just indifferent toward it. The Holy Spirit's poking you and saying, hey, you, you know, you need to make a change. But you know why you don't come forward? It's because you can't come forward. Because pride has you chained to your seat. You're not going to make any changes. Some of you have been in church for years. And man, there, look, there's not a passage I could open to and preach where you don't already know the story. You haven't already heard the truth preached because you've been in church decades, two, three, four decades. You know it all. And the truth is, I could study and preach till I'm, I'm blue in the face. And like I said, when I first got here to be your pastor, some people sit in the pew with their arms crossed and say, bless me if you can. And you know where that attitude comes from? It comes from pride. And that pride has you chained down. That pride is holding you back at work. Your boss sees your pride and he sees your arrogance and he wants to train you. He wants to help you. He wants to mentor you. He wants to take you along. She knows what you need to, 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 to be advanced up the ladder. But your pride is keeping you from moving forward because you're nothing more than a know-it-all. And no one can correct you because you think you know what's best. Somebody wants to tell you how to do your Sunday school class a little bit better. How you can grow it. How you can make it better. But no, you already know because you've been to church many years and, and you're skeptical of everything that's said. And so here's a chain around you. Someone makes a suggestion about how you could do better uh, uh, with a particular ministry. Pastor Mike stands here in choir practice and he corrects the choir about this or that. And people sit there and they go, I, I don't like that. I don't like being told what to do. You know why? The pride in your heart is a chain. It's wrapped around you and it's keeping you from moving. And you're not ever going to go anywhere in life. Now, you've got two choices. You can ask God to unlock the lock behind you and take your pride away and humble your heart and say, God, I want to be a moldable person at work. I want to be a moldable person at church. I want to be a moldable person in my marriage. And I don't want to have any more pride. God, please remove the pride from me. And you know what God will start to do is He'll allow you, if you'll confess it and work on it, to have that chain loosened a little at a time. And one day, you'll be able to stand up and go places for God with a humble heart. But this self-reliance thing is, I know what's best. I don't need you, the Holy Spirit, or anybody else telling me what to do. And my friend, it's a chain that has you trapped and you can't go anywhere. I'm going to leave you there for a few minutes, Brother John. I'll take you, get you out in a minute here. Obadiah verse 3 says this. I want the visualization while we, while we preach to this point. Obadiah uh, has one chapter. In the third verse of that chapter, it says this. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The pride... Of thine heart hath deceived thee. Yes, uh, sir, you, you got marriage figured out, don't you? You're the best husband the world's ever seen. Just ask you, you'll tell us all about it. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I know it. I know it. You're the best mom the world's ever had. You got it all figured out, don't you? You, you just know. And not only do you know, you know how to tell everybody else that they're raising their children wrong. Pride, uh, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Hey, there are some of you here tonight, you're nothing more than a know-it-all. A know-it-all. No one can ever tell you anything because you know it all. You ever go to a conference or you ever uh, uh, attend a, a preaching service and you think, yeah, no, I didn't get anything out of it. I've heard all that before. Shame on you. Shame on you. A humble, a humble man or a humble woman comes into anything and says, there's something here I can pick up and learn to make me better. All men are my teachers. Let me give you quickly here an A, B, and a C. Let, notice letter A, my experiences. My experiences. Turn over to Psalm chapter 10 and verse number 4. The Bible says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The Bible has a lot to say about a proud look. We, we preached a sermon about pride uh, a few months back when we looked at the sins on God's hate list out of Proverbs chapter 6. We talked about a proud look. And where does a proud look come from? Well, it comes from a person who has succeeded 
in certain areas of their life. They've seen some success. They have relied on that, that strong work ethic and it's gotten them somewhere. Or that big personality got them that promotion. Or those warm people skills where the HR department got them promoted or got them a Sunday school class at church. Or their intellect, their smarts, their ability to calculate and critique and understand has gotten them to where they are. And so now because of those experiences that they've had in life, they're now boasted up and filled with pride. And they think, I got this, I can do this on my own because of my own experiences. You know the biggest problem about leaning on your own experiences is? That a part, a whole comparison is always a terrible idea. How do you know what I'm talking about by that? You can't take just a small percentage of a sampling size and draw conclusions about everything else. If I were to draw, take a Sharpie, I'm not going to do this, but I were to draw a gigantic circle on this back wall. And I were to take, and I were to start moving a line down the circle. Let's say that circle is all of the information from the entire world. We were to start moving a line down and you had to stop the line when it got to the point where it contained everything that you knew. How far down would that line go? An inch? Half an inch? A centimeter? But you know, don't you? No one can tell you what to do. Oh, you know. You know, your boss can't correct you. Your spouse can't offer any sort of critique, reproof, because you know, you got it all figured out. And I'm sorry, there's a whole lot out there I don't know. And the older I get, the more I realize I really don't know anything. We need to have a heart that is not filled with pride and not leaning on our experiences. Let her be notice my expertise. My expertise. First John 2.16 says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The pride of life. Where does this life pride come from? It's when a person becomes really, really, really good at one thing. At one thing. Um, when I'm having a problem at my house with electrical, I'll call Mike Vara. You know Why? Because in comparison to me, he's an expert at electricity. When I have a woodwork question, I'll call David Greer. That's what he does for a living. If I need help on a teaching skill or how to convey something, I'll call Mike Scarpetti or Rose O'Kai or Pam Dalton, who isn't here this evening. Or if I need help uh, with a, a plumbing problem, I'll call Jim Owens, who's done that for his life. They're experts in those areas. And many of you, when you're having a life problem, you'll call me because I'm a pastor and I study the Bible and you want to know what God's word says about something. But what we must remember is that while you might be more of an expert than a lot of other people in an area, you know nothing in comparison to God. And God's a whole lot smarter than any of us. Don't you allow the fact that you have some past experiences or you have some expertise in an area to bolster your heart and pride. Letter C, notice uh, uh, my effort, my effort. Turn over to Daniel chapter 4 with me. I hasten, Daniel 4, and look at verse 28. Quickly, quickly, turn over there. I'm going to begin reading, and uh, you can catch up when you get there. The Bible says, uh, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he walked in the palace uh, of the king of Babylon. Daniel 4, verse 30, the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon, look at the pride here, that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the uh, might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, this is God's voice, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. He stepped out on his back porch and he overlooked this entire kingdom that he built. And trust me, Babylon was huge. Uh, Rome is compared to the feet, and Babylon is compared to the head. Babylon was so much greater than Rome ever was. And we know all about how beautiful and big and powerful Rome was. Rome could have not held a candle in the room if Babylon had been present. And he steps out on that back porch, and he sees this huge kingdom with these great buildings that are built. And he says, look at what I did with my might and my effort and the God of heaven says uh 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 you did that because I let you do that all the power that you did that with I gave you 
All the intellect that you use, I gave you. Whatever big personality was involved, I gave you that. Whatever people skills that you've developed and the relationships that you have, I gave you that, Nebuchadnezzar. And he smote him down. And for seven years, he wandered around uh, his backyard like an animal eating the grass. As God humbled him. Pride. I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you teachable? Are you correctable? You say, well, pastor, at work, I know more than the boss. It's not that I'm being proud. I just know more than the boss. Pastor, I'm more developed at the trade than my boss. I bet you there is something your boss does better than you. I bet you there is. Now, it may not be much, but I bet there's something you can learn from him or her. And what we need to do is we need to humble our hearts. And we need to chuck the pride out the window. And we need to take the chain off of ourselves. We need the chain to go. And we need pride to no longer to compass us about as a chain. It's stuck, Brother John. No, I'm just teasing. Just teasing you there. Was that your butt? I bet I hit the button in your pocket there. I just made his little car alarm go off. There you go. Thank you, Brother John. Let's give him a round of applause as a thank you. Number one, we see personality. Number two, we see pride. Is that mine? That's mine? Oh, it was mine. Brother John, I'm sorry I accused you. That was my car. All right. Number three, we see perspective. Perspective. This takes us back to where we began. You know what self-reliance comes down to? It comes down to a lack of a proper perspective. We just lack perspective in who we are and who God is. Who God is. And you know, Job lost a little bit of that perspective. God, was, uh, God looked at Job and asked him four questions. Now, we know the story. God takes all the stuff away from Job, and the Bible tells us that he, in all this he sinned not, and he worshipped God. Right? We know the story. Um, but his three friends come along, if you want to call them friends. And they sit there for several days, and they don't say anything. And then they start basically taking him to task. Job, you have sin in your life, or this wouldn't have happened. Don't do that, okay, to somebody. Someone's going through a hard time. Don't, don't, please, don't do that. Learn from Job's friends. That's a bad idea, okay? Um, people have problems in their lives for all kinds of reasons, and it isn't just because they're sinning. But those were the accusations that were hurled, and Job found himself defending himself against his friends, and in his own self-defense, he took things a hair too far and even began to question God a little bit as to why he was being uh, punished. And so we find here that God asked Job uh, basically four questions, and I want to ask you those same questions tonight as well. The letter A, notice, who are you anyway? Who are you anyway? Now, uh, I'm going to take you back to Psalm 8 for this. And uh, we're going to look at this question out of Psalm 8. You can find this question in various places in Job, but I think it's articulated much better in Psalm chapter 8. Uh, verse 1, let me read here. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hath, who hath set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy uh, with, and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens... Imagine David here sitting under a tree in a field, looking up at the night sky with tens of thousands of stars visible to him. No city lights to inhibit his view. And, 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 and he's looking up. He's looking out and seeing the animals and the grass and he sees the trees. He sees the moon and the stars and all the, the various planets that are viewable from where he is. When he says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him. You get this awestruck David sitting under a tree, looking up at this huge creation, and he steps back and he says, God, uh, for, for you to make this, you've got to be huge. And if you're that big, who am I? What is man? Well, let me tell you who I am. I'm the big shot at work. Let me remind you, God is infinite and you're finite. 
God is ageless. You have a birth date and a coming death date, like all the rest of us. And God looks down at humanity, and he sees your pride. He sees your self-reliance, and he goes, Who do you even think you are? Don't you know how big I am? I measure the universe with a span, the prophets tell us. I hold the water of the seas, the oceans, in the palm of my hand. Uh, Who are you anyway? Letter B, notice, um, what can you actually do? What can you actually do? Uh, Turn over to Job 38, where we began. Let's look at several verses here. I've got to fly. Job 38, verse number 9. When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed palace, and set bars and doors. Uh, look down at uh, uh, verse 13. Uh, uh, Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings uh, and feathers unto the ostrich? Look at, uh, look at verse 19. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. Look down at verse number 26 of Job 39. Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch uh, her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? What can you actually do? Hey, I give the eagle the ability to fly. The hawk moves around because of my wisdom. And all of these things happen because of me. What are... Remind me again, what can you do? Oh, you, you can, you can, you can, uh, you can, you can construct a home. You can remodel a kitchen. Uh, you can sit at a computer and write a program. Ooh. Oh, I know. You're a mechanic. You can make cars go. Hey, I make human bodies work every day, God says. Why again are you lifted up in pride? Did you forget who I am and who you are? Letter C, notice, where were you when? Where were you when? Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth, declared if thou hast understanding? He said, hey, you weren't even around when I made everything out of nothing. God says, if you're self-reliant, it's because you've lost perspective in who I am and who you are. Letter D, and lastly, notice, what do you really know? What do you really know? Job 38, verse 5. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Knowest thou the time uh, when the wild goats of the rock, uh, uh, this is Job 39, verse 1. Knowest thou the time when the wild uh, uh, goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? Canst uh, thou number the months uh, that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? God is just hammering Job with question after question. Who do you think you are? What do you think you know? What do you think you can do? Hey, Job, you're this little speck and nobody, nothing on the map. And I'm this great big God. And here you are, filled up with pride, relying on yourself to get through uh, this trial. And God says, Job, knock it off. I am God. And if you allow me to do my work through you and through your flesh, if you'll trust me, oh my, together we can do a whole lot more than you can do by yourself. Now, I want to finish the sermon tonight with Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Can you turn over there? It's 7.10. I'm going to read this verse, make one comment, and then I'm I'm going to close. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding. Why? It's puny and weak anyway. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. The sin of self-reliance. Which is it tonight? You relying on your work ethic? You relying on that big personality, that those warm people skills, that intellectual brain that's God God's given you, that uh, uh, critical thinking brain that God's given you? Tonight it's time to say, God, I'm not going to rely on me anymore. I'm going to rely on you to guide me and direct my path. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, tonight would you help us?
Would you help us to turn over our own right to call the shots? And would you help us to give that to you? Lord, tonight what we want is a church filled with people who trust in the Lord. The Lord who created the heavens and earth. The Lord who makes this magical globe tick perfectly. Help us, Lord, to take the trust off of us, to untie the chain of pride, and Lord, have a humble heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The piano's playing. The altar's open. How about it tonight? Are you ready to say, God, I'm done with the the, the chain of pride. I'm ready for you to be in charge. Amen. You can look this way. I hope the message tonight challenges you to go home and really rethink some things about uh, how your life is structured, how you set your schedule, how you, you go about your day. And may we set pride to the side and may we let God be in charge. i got to tell you, God points out to me all the time where I have pride in my life. I'll have a, a, something happen that will get my blood pressure raised a little bit and I'll feel God say, that's pride right there. You need to knock it off. And when he does, may we have humble hearts to let that go. Amen. Glad you're all here tonight. We've got meetings all over the building after church. If you're not in a meeting, intermingle with folks. You see someone here you don't know real well, get over, shake their hand, and, uh, and get to know them uh, tonight. Let's continue to be a friendly church.